Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will not be implementing any restrictions to lock down further listeners. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll discuss some real, real news. And our main review is The Electric Life of Louis Wayne, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Claire Foy. Last minute switch up that, wasn't it? It was, yes. Abandoning Don't Look Up in favour of the theatrical release. Did we make a massive mistake? You'll have to wait approximately 30 minutes to find out. How are you, Daniel? I'm all right, thank you. I brought in the new year in uh, quite quiet form, reserved, didn't go mad, which was nice. Um, but I did manage to embarrass myself on the, on the brand new start of a new year. I went into our local co-op, which is a supermarket, for those that don't know. And they're obviously just trying to get shut of all the Christmas stuff that they've got in the shop, of which there was some gingerbread houses that were Christmas-themed. I'd just gone in for... Um, some tobacco because I already failed on that New Year's resolution and got to the till and just this gingerbread house was playing on in my mind. But for some reason, I jumbled the Christmas theme together with what it was and said to her at the checkout, um, can I have Christmas bread? To which she just looked at me like I was absolutely mental. And then I said, sorry, 30 grams of unbelief, please. And I just don't know where it came from. <laughs> Christmas bread, the bread with a little bit of holly and mistletoe on top. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even called Christmas bread on the packaging. It's just what my mind managed to do in the background whilst I was waiting. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, pretty idiotic of me. But there you go. Um, I also got shat on by a group of seagulls as well on my brand new coat, both me and my missus, covered in seagull poo. I didn't know seagulls were um, around in that area. Uh, we were in Blackpool. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, and we thought, you know what, it's a good job with parents. We've got wet wipes to clean all this up. Nah, I hadn't brought any with us. So it was just an hour of finding a shop that sold wet wipes. It was uh, a wasted trip. It wasn't great. That's a shame. So your so your story from the week is not your visit to Blackpool, but your but co-op. That yeah. does that show how good the Blackpool visit was? I think it speaks volumes, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. You all right though? Happy New Year. New yeah, Year. it was that that was exactly halfway between a question and just a statement, wasn't it? <laughs> is it a happy new year? Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah. Is it fuck? Anyway, let's look past my social misgivings. James, what have you been watching in the last week? It's the film-only watch list for me this week. First, Becoming the Ricardos, the big Amazon Prime release starring Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem. While making the I Love Lucy show in the 1950s, Lucille Ball is accused of being a communist and the film takes place during a week where they deal with the commie controversy while rehearsing the, that week's show. And there are flashbacks going through Lucille's early career and relationship with Desi Amaz, played by Javier Bardem. Nicole Kidman plays Lucille slash Lucy and does a grating I Love Lucy voice. 
and Javier Bardem does a very fake Spanish accent. Spanish, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. My expectations were high. The problem is I don't know about I Love Lucy. And these people and the history mean nothing to me. So while I'm sure Aaron Sorkin enjoyed doing all this stuff with the old-timey TV stuff, I couldn't get into it. I wasn't interested in these characters. Imagine showing an Only Fools and Horses biopic to an American millennial. They don't care about Del Boy going through the bar. That's how I felt. The punchy dialogue, the punchy Aaron Sorkin dialogue comes off as a bit forced most of the time where they always have the exact witty things to say back to each other. It wasn't for me. Sorry. Oh, I'm really disappointed with that because, like I said, I had high hopes. Is it? What about the gender politics of it? Is that not just universal enough to carry it through? Obviously not. You've just said you didn't like it, so I don't know why I'm trying to... I didn't get that much gender politics from it all oh, right that's just some of the so it, it is in there where she's she's pregnant and she says i want to be pregnant on the show and the old old men they say we, we can't have a pregnancy on tv that's mental right. so there is that but it's it, i just wasn't into it, it there's, it's a weird mix of like comedy and drama a comedy drama a dramedy but it's one of them where it's not dramatic or funny so you said you don't know a lot about I Love Lucy. I don't. I'm not going to pretend I do. But I'm aware of its existence and what it was and the fact that WandaVision ripped it off. That's probably my knowledge. Is yours less than that or the same? Less less than that. I know the title. I've never seen an image of Lucille Ball until I looked it up as I was watching this. And... I didn't even know that WandaVision was based off of this or that it imitated it. I know it was based on 1950 sitcoms, but I wouldn't have been able to say they're doing I Love Lucy. Yeah, I may have projected that onto it. Maybe it didn't. I'm not too sure. Maybe I read it somewhere, trying to be clever, whatever. Um, so maybe I'll recommend that to my dad. He might enjoy it. He's old. Anything else you've been watching? Boiling Point. The 90-minute single-take restaurant drama starring Stephen Graham using his own accent, sign me up. I loved this and I hated how anxious it made me feel. About 15 minutes in, my heart rate had increased and I had to stop myself and think, is there something that I'm worried about, worrying about in my life that is making me panic? But it wasn't. It was just that the film is that good. It's about the rising tensions among staff and customers over an evening in real time. They're short-staffed, they're overbooked, Table 13 is being a dick. A restaurant reviewer is there. There's not enough ingredients. You know something is going to go wrong. I wanted it to be Stephen Graham shouting for 90 minutes, but he's not in every scene. It's about the whole restaurant, and it never gets boring. They slow it down by having people sit and talk, and then there are bursts of shouting when people reach boiling point. The one-shot gimmick works really well because it is about that non-stop action of being in a restaurant and there's no rest for anyone. But like I say, you do get times where people walk outside, put the bins out, so things stop for a while, you get to breathe, and then you go back and you see no, one's, no one stops. It's all chaos. You've seen this as well, I think. What did you think? 
I absolutely loved this. And I thought, if I'd have seen this two weeks prior, this would be in my top five of 2021, I think. And it's purely down to, like you said, it's a bit gimmicky, the whole one take thing, but it does work extremely well in this sort of environment. And and it was slightly distracting. You're going, hang on, there's going to be a cut here. It's going to be a cut here, but there's not. Um, My partner wasn't a big fan. She said, what was all that about then? To which I said, it, uh, it's about, it, it doesn't matter what it's about. It's a snapshot in time, okay? But the more that I mould it over, in the, in the most basic of ways, it's about you don't know what's going on in someone else's life. You just don't. And I think it did a really good job of every single person in that gets an arc of some description. It, it can be not that impactful in some ways. It could be someone's just had a horrendous night working, but everyone gets that sort of arc and I was really impressed with like you said I thought this would solely rely on Stephen Graham to carry it and it really doesn't there's really young actors in here that they're just like go on I know we're 60 minutes into this but don't you dare fuck it up right so that we have to do it another time it's all on your shoulders and they actually trust them to do it and everyone comes across as really naturalistic in it and I didn't find there was a a flawed performance in it I really really enjoyed this i thought it was excellent and the fact that the actors can't make a mistake plays into the idea that the cooks and the table staff they can't make mistakes either yeah yeah it's an environment where no mistakes are allowed and i liked how stephen Grain kept saying just give me a minute give me a minute he kept saying that constantly but he never has a minute no one Mm -hmm. has time to stop i loved it I have problems with the end, but we can't discuss that. I don't think they needed to do what they did. It would have stood on its own two feet without trying to up the dramatic ante. But, yeah, still very good. Very, very good. Yeah, yeah. Daniel, what have you been watching? I've been watching yet another Netflix series that's based on the books of Harlan Coburn. It's Stay Close. And we've talked about probably nearly all of these that have come out since the podcast has been in existence. The Woods, The Innocent, The Stranger, the list goes on. And for my money, I I think they've all been really solid and of a a good, a very good level of quality. And because this is my go-to genre, being murder mystery, crime thriller, I'm into it. I also really like this release model that they've got with these adaptations. Each one is set in a variety of countries across Europe, so they all have a very different feel to them. So given that I've enjoyed every one of them, I'd been looking forward to this quite a bit. And when I realised that, oh, this is going to be released on New Year's Eve, I thought, I'm approaching middle age. This will be the perfect post-celebration recovery viewing. I can just slob on the couch for a full day on New Year's Day and binge it. Um, and it could nurse my hangover. It didn't work. So, yeah, it, it was pretty surprising. This is actually quite bad. Don't get me wrong, I did still enjoy it, but this is the weakest of the bunch by a country mile, and that's despite some big acting names. You've got the likes of James Nesbitt, Eddie Izzard, Kush Jumbo. It all feels a little bit silly, and, you know, all these adaptations have been ludicrously complex plots but that's part of the fun for me and I was always able to look past it because either the acting carried it or the plot itself was worth investing in because I cared about the characters and and their fate 
But this just felt a little lazy when it came to like fleshing everything out and providing surrounding characters with backstories. And I think it really suffers because of that. And there's just huge plot holes galore and things that don't make sense. The, the big one that's coming to mind at the moment, trying to avoid spoilers, somebody breaks into somebody else's house only to then discover that the police have turned up to do a crime scene investigation of the house. Now, police are everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Police woman wanders up the stairs. He's in the bedroom. She walks straight past that. That's convenient. Next, next shot is him on the other side of the road getting in his car. How has he got past all these people? It doesn't make any sense, and we're just supposed to buy it. Really annoyed me. Um, anyway, back to what it's about. This, this is a, a woman being confronted with a past, and events play out in present day whilst also you get to see what transpired 17 years ago. And the past sections rely on believing that nobody ages within 17 years. They just use a wig on one of the characters to signify you're in this time period. And it just, <sighs> anyway, th there's also this murderous duo in this called Ken and Barbie. And they do spur of the moment theatrical dance sequences before committing crimes like they're on Broadway. And it feels so out of place that I thought, what is, what, what is this about? I mean, in isolation, that sounds interesting, but they don't do anything with it. It's just strange. The twist, I didn't see coming. I'll give it that. But on reflection, it was so bloody obvious. I'm kicking myself. Stay close. Stay away, more like. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's not bad, but it's nowhere near what I've come to expect of these type of productions for Paul and Corbin's material. It feels like a big misstep. Number one on Netflix. And I'm sure it will continue to be for quite some time because it's just got all those ingredients that the majority of the viewing public will lap up. Kush Jumbo was also in The Beast Must Die. Do you think that she overacts just by 1%? Uh, yes, because in this, I, I've never seen her in anything else, but in this, she's not the only one who does it, which is why I was more forgiving. And she's given some really awful dialogue to work with, but it just feels a bit too much at points. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, because I felt like the Beast Must Die and I saw, the little Netflix, I saw the little preview clip on Netflix. I thought, oh, there's Chris Jumbo, who's an incredible talent and she's fantastic. She's a brilliant. But it's just that that one percent overacting, yeah. yeah. I'm watching Safe, starring Michael Seal Sea Hall, that you recommended to me. So it's, it's Safe on the upper end of Hal and Corbin adaptations and Stay Closes at the bottom. Yeah, I, th I think that suffers from some of the same things, but there's a, a tightness to it that holds it all together. This is a bit too flimsy in too many respects for me. I'm not saying Safe is an absolute masterpiece, but I think it's it's good for what it is. Are you enjoying it so far? I'm enjoying it, yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, oh, well, one last thing on that. This is shot in the Northwest, so I thought this would be fun playing a bit of location bingo with my partner, but it turned out we didn't really recognise anywhere other than Berry Church. Mm -hmm. So that was a bit disappointing as well. What else have you been watching? Well, New Year, New Me. I wanted to broaden my horizons and start the year afresh. So that extends to the content that I view for you, dear listeners. And I know I'm quite one note with the doom and gloom and killing. Um, so I thought I'd go back to my late 
teenage, early 20s years and go back to stand-up comedy. Not delivering it, just watching it. I'm not talented in the slightest. Um, Netflix gifted us with Jimmy Carr's His Dark Materials over Christmas. And I used to be quite the fan of his stand-up, so I thought, I'd give this a go and let's see how he's evolved over the years. Turns out he's still doing the same sort of comedy, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but he has adapted slightly, and that's mainly because the shit he'd say a decade ago is pretty problematic in this day and age. And he's still offensive. That level of humour is there, but he has a disclaimer at the top of the show that basically says, or tries to get around the issue by going, listen, I'm making jokes about difficult subjects, but, and this is his example, just because I tell a joke about rape, I'm not committing the act of rape, so you can't get annoyed, sort of thing. I don't think I've explained that very well. But that's his excuse. It's recognised that these things are, are, you know, on the cusp of, of going slightly too far. But he's, he's funny. He's still very funny. And I really enjoyed um, the comedy here. I think it's a successful set. I would watch it again. I enjoyed it, but I can't help feeling that he slightly tailored himself to not go too far, which is a shame because sometimes, you know, that can be quite funny. That's his dark material, isn't it? Yes. Correct. Yeah. So he doesn't do a Dave Chappelle where he takes the issues head on and invites the controversy. He tries to just skirt around the edge. No, he, yeah, he, he does. He does play with it and he does recognize it it's just he he knows what his cut off point is i think where previously jimmy carr knows no bounds he will not stop until you are sufficiently offended and that's not what i feel he's trying to do here he does like belittle the audience like specifically this woman in the audience he is horrific to her and misogynistic and it's hilarious but he knows where the line is that's all i'm saying fair enough the disclaimer at the start, do you think that was a sincere disclaimer or was do you, do you think he's trying to poke fun at, at cancel culture? There's a recognition of that in here. And I think I actually watched Jimmy Carr in a documentary called Cancelled on Channel 4 with Richard Bacon. And he addresses how he was already cancelled because of his tax evasion and stuff like that. Well, he wasn't really was he? Because he was still on our TVs and he's not just disappeared off into the ether. So I'll take that with a pinch of salt. Oh, he's so hard done by. Um, but I think it's, it's like a background thing in this. It's acknowledging that, listen, I'm going to put this at the start so that you don't turn me apart. I still have a career, but we all know that what's really going on is I'm having to slightly bite my tongue and not say what I really want to say because otherwise my career is over. And that's why I left it with, I was like, that was really fun. I enjoyed it, but unfiltered, I think it would have been even better. But he just can't do that in this day and age. And I think that is terribly sad. Yeah, you want to keep that Channel 4 contract. Indeed, indeed. Shall we move on to real news? Yes, let's. It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. Ridley Scott taps Vanessa Kirby. I saw half of that headline and thought, what's going on here? But it uh, taps is is just an industry term, it seems, to mean that Ridley Scott has cast Vanessa Kirby to play Josephine opposite Joaquin Phoenix in the Napoleon epic kit bag. Kit bag? And I didn't... Kit, kit bag. Oh. 
and it's going to be an Apple film. Have you even heard of this? It's Ridley Scott directing Joaquin Phoenix again in a Napoleon film. This sounds like it's going to be pretty epic. Um, but the only reason I bring it up is just to make that first like joke about the start of the headline, really. Uh, but he's still going strong. What is he now? 106? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so every, every chance that he may pass during production, but hey-ho. That's what insurance is for, right? Yep. And did you know how popular Yellowstone is? I've gone on a deadline binge. So Yellowstone set new ratings records for the season four finale with 9.3 million viewers on the Paramount Network. Yellowstone is a Western, your least favorite genre, starring Kevin Costner. Is it just something that hasn't penetrated the UK? It's on Channel 5 in the UK, and I feel like maybe... We've missed out here. I, I think that says everything then, really, doesn't it? If it's on Channel 5, no one's seen it, and that's why yeah. it's not really penetrated the UK market. But I am aware that it's big in the US. It regularly crops up on lists that I peruse. So, well, I'm never going to watch it, am I? Because, hello, Western, no thanks. Nice to see Kevin Costner still working, though. Not in that much these days. No, well, he was on, they had a Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves on over Christmas. Oh, did they? Good film. Yeah. Classic. There was an action scene, though, among the treetops that was all smoky and fiery, and it seemed like there was too much smoke, and it made all the images like all dulled out and smoky, and I wondered if they really wanted it to look like that. You can just tell that there's loads of real smoke obscuring everything. I don't know why I'm getting too much into this, but yeah, Yellowstone might need to get on this bandwagon and watch four years' worth like I did with Succession. Well, quite the fan of a of a good western yourself, aren't you? So no no excuses. This should be a right in your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And last one, also from Deadline.com, HBO Max made the top ten list of most downloaded US apps of 2021, and Netflix and Disney Plus exited this chart, this Apptopia chart, which what means that number, one? Hit, number one was TikTok. This is Sorry. just a, a list of all apps. Um, so HBO Max, it's, 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 all, it's all kicked off. Having their films on HBO Max has worked and we're missing out. We're missing out on all this content that 45 million people have downloaded. Yeah, damn you, Sky. I don't suppose you know what the outlook is on, on the year that is 2022, do you? Are they going to simultaneously release in theatres and on HBO Max? Or have they said, actually, the world's kind of returning to normal we're not doing this anymore i'm aware that batman will have a simultaneous release i think but i don't know about going forward i don't know it would have been good for me to to look that up maybe if well this article doesn't say so maybe they're not maybe they're going to slowly stop doing it and hope that people stay subscribed yeah but yeah netflix if uh they're in too many households i don't know whether this you know marks the decline as such i just think everyone's already got it so they're not necessarily growing an audience are they it's just a chance now for the the lower little boys to come in and disrupt the market yeah because netflix was in the top 10 last year but it wasn't this year it's a bit like facebook where the the grow it the growth flattens out because everyone's got it so you can't grow anymore if you've already taken over the world mm. tiktok though does it does worry me that because I've had some conversations with with relatives 
younger relatives over the Christmas period. And there is what I already knew was in existence, but a worrying trend towards not being able to sustain anybody's attention for more than five minutes. We were talking about um, the fact that we do this podcast and uh, my niece said, oh, I don't watch films. I was like, what? Wow, okay. How what old is all? she? She is 15. I said, oh, why, why don't you watch films? She was like, I don't have the attention span for a film. No, I just, I just can't watch it. And another of my relatives of similar age said, yeah, no, don't do films, anything like that. No, I can't, can't watch that. It's like, wow. Right, okay. This is, this is massive. This is massive. So do they watch TV shows? Because a TV show, that's, like, so that's a six-hour commitment. Not even that, not interested. They'd rather consume just bite-sized um, bits of media. So damn you, Quibby, for going away. If you'd waited a year, you'd have been the biggest thing in the world right now. But um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them, but now that you've said that, it all adds up. So the number one is TikTok with 94 million, number two, Instagram, 64. So it's all about that snappy TikTok content. Did you know there's a trend for fake animal rescue videos where uh, I watched one of the day where someone gets these two ducks out of a barrel of oil and says, I've rescued them and then wipes them down. And then the rest of the video is her taking care of them in these pristine, perfectly arranged, like duck caring equipment. And it's apparent that these ducks are her pets. She already has the facility to take care of them because they're her ducks. And she dipped them in oil to make the video for TikTok clout. Wow, that is that is disturbing. But as alarming as that is, don't tell me you've not got your mind ticking over now thinking, how do we really gain a following? That could work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Could dip each other in oil or set each other on fire. Or set a multiplex on fire. Goodbye, Lee Cineworld. <laughs> we'll, we'll just witness the whole fallout. Um, we'll water it down with some appropriately stocked bottles of Volvic in the back of our cars. Yeah, yeah, because the Tesco's right there. So yep. we'll just do a multi-buy of some Volvic. <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to bring this up because we don't want to just, you know, let a news story run for over a year. But uh, The Rock has... He's said some pretty horrible things. Well, not horrible things. He's dismissed this call to return to the Fast and Furious franchise as manipulative, hasn't he? He's finally responded and said, you can do one, Diesel. Um, so, yeah, that'll be the last on this matter, unless there's a furious row that you know goes on in the background after this. Maybe there's a retort from Vin Diesel. We don't know, but I just wanted to bookend that news story that we introduced last year with now nah, the rock he's out he's not interested good good for him yeah speaking of fast and furious that was about cars there are new cars that use electricity which leads us on to the electrical life of lewis wade hello i'd like to order an opinion please this film is new fresh point of view Call me sit back this is a fact we in the hours here are some hours thoughts in sync tell you what to think listen to you but please don't rap again this week's main review is the electrical life of louis wayne oh i said lewis are you an illustrator um, yes you're very muddy i was attacked by a one and a half ton ball oh 
I am prepared to offer you a staff position. Do you capture something of a cat? Perhaps because you yourself are an outcast. I do it to provide for the five hungry and precocious sisters that I live at home with. And we've had a governess. I think you're the first person to see the cats are ridiculous. <laughs> Frightened and brave. Like us. Miss Richardson has had an incredibly positive effect on this family. Were you painting something? Is something funny, Miss Wayne? Not at all. Louis White Special! Look, there he is! Your cat man. Cat man. A whole cat world. They will turn blue and communicate with us in our own language. Did you say that they would turn blue? Yes, of course. Wow. Louis Wayne was many things during his incredible life. Artist, inventor, entrepreneur and caretaker. After adopting a stray kitten, he went on to paint the extraordinary images of cats that made him world famous. So go on, James, this last minute switcheroo, was it all worth it? What did you think of the electrical life of Louis Wayne? So we're establishing that it's Louis Wayne, not Louis, because when I was watching it, I thought I'll have to remember which one it is, but I've forgotten if it's Louis or Louis. And I've only watched it today, and I can confirm it is indeed Louis. Okay. Obligatory statement of ignorance. I'm not familiar with Louis Wayne, but when I saw the drawings, I recognised them, which speaks to the impact of the images and the obscurity of the man, which is what this film is about. And I can only assume that the events are accurate, or at least emotionally accurate. The story is not that exciting or dramatic, and it seems like there's not that much of historical importance going on but it's louis wayne's relationship with claire foy and his sisters and the development of his art and his undiagnosed schizophrenia that generates the drama and what makes it work is the, the performances and the way that the setting is realized benedict cumberbatch shows himself to be the man of the hour with Doctor Strange and the power of the dog and now this. He can do it all. He can do it all. It's a comic performance that's not too over the top and it's an emotional downfall that isn't too, please give me an Oscar this year. He gets it just right and you do feel for Louis in the end. Claire Foy, whose character name I've not written down, is also like half whimsical, quirky, Victorian and half deadly serious, which was also good and made their relationship worth watching. There's one scene where they're laying together, like she's laying in Louis's arms and talking, and it's just their faces, and it's really very, very good. There's a really amazing scene that is so is so key that they like flash back to it later on because, you know, like that's, that's the important scene. It skips through the years at a good pace. You get the 1874... 1914 whatever it doesn't linger too long on any of like the contractual details of his employment or the financial destitution that he's in it doesn't get too much into what all the different sisters are doing it gives you just enough to paint a full picture so to speak of his life without losing focus it reminded me of the theory of everything the stephen hawking film a genius who can only be understood by his other half and he'd be nothing without her but it's not a romance, it's more than that. And there's a link to Tick, Tick, Boom as well, which was also about the process of creating art. But Louis Wayne is a far more sympathetic main character. 
It has a 4.3 aspect ratio. Oh, my word, it's Stanley Kubrick reborn. That has an effect on the film. It's definitely effective. The 4.3 aspect ratio affected my reaction to the film. The story eventually goes into mental illness and becomes darker and sadder, but mostly it's a whimsical tale. And I think all the elements came together pretty well. Daniel, what did you think of the electrical life of Louis Wayne? No, I'm not usually a fan of period dramas. It's much like the pepper spray of the cinematic world, like Westerns are, I suppose. They don't, they don't hold my attention. So I was a bit wary of this. I thought it was going to be a bit of a bore fest. But I needn't have worried. It, it isn't. It's very energetically paced. And because of that, it did hold my attention throughout its entire runtime. And at its core, this is just your bog standard biographical tale. And as you've mostly covered, it's a man living out his life in the 18th century, struggling to make ends meet for his family, whilst also touching on his artistic contribution to the world, which was random bizarre paintings of cats, it would seem. And for the first half, you used a word that I've put in my review, but it does encapsulate, I think, it's it's a whimsical introduction to the life of Louis Wayne. And you see the dynamic he has with his family, and then we get the introduction of the governess, played by Claire Foy, who he later becomes involved with. It's not all happy families. They are struggling financially, but for the most part, it's a functional household, and it all feels quite light and fluffy and, and pleasant. And I was enjoying my time in that world. However, as you said, at the halfway point, it becomes clear that it's not all sunshines and rainbows. And Louis is presented with some quite earth-shattering news, which leads into illustrate cats as a form of weird therapy to help deal with, with grief and, and turmoil. And at that point, I was anticipating a distinctly different film for the second half than what came before, and it never actually materialised. I was not expecting this to be as straightforward as it is, and that's because Will Sharp, the writer-director, I feel like I've spoken about him far too much the last three weeks, but because I've seen some of his previous work, he's an alternative filmmaker. He's someone who takes material and does some pretty out-there things with it. Landscapers, for example, that I discussed a few weeks ago, it's a true crime story, but somehow he's able to translate that into a very unconventional place where there's this otherworldly either you know dream sequences or metaphors for what's going on in the real world and if there's one thing i would credit him for it's finding beauty in darkness and that all sounds very pretentious but this by its nature this subject matter it lends itself to that sort of interpretation and like you said in the later parts of the film it's a man dealing with psychological issues and i was taken aback by how restrained he is in how he explores that subject. He does toy with it. There's some odd sequences, but for the most part, it's grounded in reality. And I do think a large part of that is down to the fact that this is his biggest venture today. He's mainly worked in TV. And this is a mainstream film with A-list actors. And I don't think he felt like he could fully gamble and show his true colours with this. After all, he wants to get hired again, doesn't he? But I would love to have seen him go hell for leather and do a bit more of what he did so successfully in landscapers then again he doesn't want to be a one-trick pony so maybe this was the right decision and show that he can handle you know material in the right manner and give it the treatment that it deserves 
Now, that desire to see that film that didn't exist is, is my own. I think if I put those expectations aside, it does work as a biographical film. And a lot of that is to do with Benedict Cumberbatch and his performance. He is both charming and sympathetic in the role, and that's what's demanded. Everyone else is good in it too. Um, Claire Foy, yeah, really liked her. Uh, Andrea Riseborough as his slightly manic sister. That was very finely portrayed. All good stuff. The music too. I'm I'm really critical. I think of films that rely too much on music in terms of the score to like elicit emotion or underpin scenes. This is one of those films. There's barely a scene that goes by that isn't accompanied by instrumental music. But I didn't mind it. I think rather than relying on it to tell you how to feel, it just neatly mirrored his mood or state of mind. Like in the early scenes, it's quite jovial and life is good. The music is upbeat, but then it becomes more somber in tone as the film goes on. It almost felt as though Louis had his own theme by the end. And they do some interesting things with the music, like they incorporate meow sounds into it, which isn't that obvious, but I thought, oh, that's, that's quite neat. I like that. And obviously that outlines his obsession with the feline species. Speaking of things I often criticise, the narration. Now, it's not overly relied upon in this film. It's just used to bridge that gap between time periods, and it gives you a quick summary of what's happened off screen. So I never found it grating or overly utilised. And plus, it's Olivia Coleman's voice, so that's just soothing on the ears. There is a lot to admire for this film, but I think my feelings on it are still in progress because it, it was so wildly different to what I thought it was going to be that I have an initial sense of disappointment. But that might not have existed had I not pre-imagined what this film was going to be. One thing I don't see my mind changing on, though, is its ability to provoke an emotional response from the audience because... The events in this are quite sad and tragic, but it's probably too heavily concerned with not being a ridiculously depressing affair for two hours. We don't wallow in those events for too long. And because of that, I think some of the bigger emotional moments in the film didn't quite have the, the weight that I was expecting. But regardless, I enjoyed it. I think this is a very well-made film. I've not even discussed cinematography. I think moments in this film look spectacular. They're very, very finely shot. Okay. What did you think of that 4.3 aspect ratio, eh? I didn't mind it. I don't think it hindered the film, but I didn't get the benefit of it, if I'm honest. I didn't understand why he employed that. What? What? Why did it work so well for you? Well, well that's why I, I, the same, that's why I said that it, it had an effect and it was effective, but I'm not quite sure what that effect was. I just knew that it, it did yeah. have some effect. I guess it made it look more old-timey because it was in that aspect ratio it made everything a bit a bit tighter a bit more claustrophobic that makes sense i don't know because i'd viewed it in the cinema i thought i am enjoying this but you've cut off half the screen i could have easily just watched this at home yeah this was like there's a, there's a lot of blacks i'm looking at a lot of black space right now on either side of this massive screen yeah that was my only negative view on, on that use of four by three but i I, i'm not saying that it it hurts the film yeah daniel would you recommend the electrical life of louis wayne yes i would and so far because i haven't watched don't look up i'm glad that we did the switcheroo because i imagine i'm far more keen on this than i will be on that film what about you i would also recommend this film you might struggle to find somewhere 
to watch it, but definitely keep an eye out for when it comes out online eventually later in the year. I have seen Don't Look Up, and I'm glad that we did this instead of Don't Look Up. Right. Shall we go into spoilers? Yes. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. The big surprise here is the end credits scene where you find out Louis Wayne had a son, Thomas Wayne. And he says, I'm going to take my inherited fortune to Gotham City. I want to get away from cats. And as the ship pulls into the harbour, there are bats flying around. You fall asleep. Yes. <laughs> oh, I would love if this tied into the Batman universe. That would have been such an amazing, weird twist. Yeah, from, from cats to bats. No, from cats, it's Catwoman. That would have... No, yeah, it's there's, just someone... There's something there. There's something there. Anyway, what actually happens, uh, the wife, Emily Richardson, played by Claire Foy, she has terminal breast cancer and she dies, is it about halfway through? Yeah, I think it's just halfway. around the 53-minute mark. And Louis Wayne is drawing his pictures of cats. He doesn't put copyright on them, so he doesn't make much money at first, but he goes to America, makes some money there, and then he starts to have some mental illness difficulties. I think, they, do they say it's schizophrenia, or have I just assumed that? It's never, I would, it's never said explicitly, but having read... In fact, this is quite sad. I mean, read Wikipedia, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but experts say that he actually probably just existed more on the autistic spectrum. So it's quite worrying, really, putting someone in a mental institution who, you know. But there, anyway, there we go. Yeah. So they, they put in, it ends with him all, all grey and old in that mental institution. It ends a bit a bit sad, but for the most part, it's about him saying, I've invented this, I've, I've drawn this, and it's what she called Andrea Riseborough. She's like screaming at him. Mm. Like, wow, you know, we've, we don't have any money, what are you doing? So that's what happens. My question, though, for you, now that we're in spoilers, I wondered, were his cat drawings based on his delusions? Because it shows him seeing people as cats, so I don't know whether that's implied or whether it's explicitly saying he's drawing cat-like people because he sees people as cats. Yeah, and I, I think you're never gonna we're never gonna know the answer to that question, are we? I think it's just implied that as he continues to deteriorate, what initially was seen as sort of a therapeutic hobby and a joy for just cats, and you know that's what he chose to make pictures of. It just became overpowering in his mind to the point where. His life is all about cats. He's replaced his relationship with his ex-wife, uh, with his dead wife, to now be about these paintings, and it was all too consuming. And now this is all he sees wherever he goes. So I think that was more of director's interpretation of that's probably where his head went. Yeah, that makes more sense, actually. So what is it that you were expecting to materialise that did not materialise? I think it's just... Like I said, there, there are glimmers of it, and that being a fine example, when he's seeing people as cats or, you know, he's got this wild theory about electricity and how cats absorb that energy. I don't, I don't think I actually fully understood what his theory was with, with the electric electricity in cats, but you see, like, electrical waves passing through cats and they look 
odd. I was expecting that to be a bit more prominent and in your face and almost take on this nightmarish quality to it and it be like a full-on descent into madness where you know he's gone down the rabbit hole of mental illness because it's so far removed from what happened in that first part of the film. You actually don't, we're not living in a reality in that second part of the film. That's what I thought we were going to see. And it didn't really do that. And that's fine because I think, I think it would have become a bit too depressing if it had chose to do that. Um, And I quite liked in hindsight that they chose to keep it despite the numerous tragic events in his life it still does retain that sense of like whimsical nature about it. Even at the end, it is very sad, but it's quite a nice poignant end rather than a depressing one. Yeah, I agree. It's more poignant than depressing because it's, it's like his art lives on. Yeah. Cause like it has, it has the pictures over the end credits. It's as though the impact was positive overall. So don't be sad. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not too sure if this ties in or not tenuous link, but even though it relies on remaining in the world of grounded reality, it still doesn't feel as though it needs to show you every element of it. So say, for example, his wife dies, you never actually see her dead on the bed. He walks in and it's all done through his reaction to, oh, she's not here anymore, or she passed away. And there's another bit earlier on in the film, which is similar sort of thing, where a girl has a period for the first time. It's never actually said she's had her period. It's just there's actually a character who goes, oh, at the end, and then cut scene, go to the next one. And I just like that it it didn't feel like everything had to be shoved in your face. Uh, this is what it is. This is what we're trying to say. A lot of it is implied. Um, told you it was a tenuous link. I don't know how I got onto that from what we were discussing before. But I did like that aspect of the film. I like that as well. Yeah, it, it's proper. It's proper writing. It's not like Netflix writing where people explain to each other exactly what's happening, and that's most of the of what the words being said are. Yeah. What did you think of the? You know, we've said we've said it a lot of times. Actually, I'm struggling to think of the films. The Green Knight being one of them. Wolf Walkers, images within films that look like paintings something that we've said quite a lot in this they do take that to the next level where literal shots become paintings and i did like it but i thought is this a bit too on the nose did you need to do it because it was beautiful to begin with what was your impression of of that did you enjoy it or i didn't notice that at all when did that happen there's two points there's one where benedict cumberbatch clairfoy sat in the middle of a field surrounded by trees all lovely colors and it's like dissolved into a painting and that it does yes. that on two separate occasions. Yes, I know which bit you're talking about now. Yeah, I, even though I've just said, I don't remember it, now that you've reminded me, I thought it was good. It, it, it fit a theme, maybe, of the lasting impact of art, lasting memories, something like that. I think it all fit in quite well. And that specific setting, that where she says, that's where she says, you can always come back here, I'll always be here. Mm. So, you know, you can always revisit moments and, and memories. No one's ever really gone, as um, Star Wars would say. Don't get a reference, but it's it's okay, clickable. It's fine. it's fine. I just wanted to draw attention to the the aging effects in this, the makeup. I thought they were actually really neatly done. I didn't feel like, oh my god, you've laid this on thick, and it looks horrendous. Um, I actually thought, yeah, whoever's done your makeup is a talented person. This is this is fine stuff. 
Yeah, it is. It is well done. I, and it doesn't go from he's young and then he's old. He starts off young and he ages seamlessly throughout. Yeah. And convincingly. Oh, there was one more thing. Obviously, we're talking about centuries ago. So how reliable this is in a portrait of a person. You know, there's got to be a few, you know, we'll throw you some leeway here and there. Um, but the fact that it's implied that he's quite Louis Wayne is a it's not your average person. He didn't know really how to mix in with society. He was bullied as a kid because he didn't quite fit in. I don't feel like when he's presented in the present as presented in the film, you don't feel that. I felt he's quite conversational with people. There's no awkwardness there. He knows how to interact. I didn't sense that. And I feel like that is a big part of his person, but it's not explored. That was one of the things that I felt was missing from this, but I don't know if I'm just being overly harsh. So hang on. So you think that he's a bit of a social, he's socially inept, yeah, but he doesn't actually come off as socially inept when he's interacting with people. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point, actually. I don't know. It's just, I don't know how to respond to that. It just is a good point. You think from how he's like he's he's drawing cats, he's inventing things. He has weird ideas about electricity, but he can actually have a decent conversation with the newspaper editor and with mm. his sisters, and he does successfully court a woman. But then he travels to America and he gets on fine, so he can still function. Yeah. I just wonder how true to reality that was, but yeah, anyhow. maybe they, maybe they just didn't want to make fun of him too much. Maybe they didn't want to make him seem like he was completely useless. Yeah, but apart from that, I have nothing else to say to you, James. No. Okay. Well, moving on to next week's episode. What are we reviewing? We're watching Titan, the French film that won the Palme d'Or. Yeah. It won a big it won a big award and we're gonna finally check it out because it's been released in the UK. I'm very much looking forward to that. I hear it's an absolute head beep. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you wish to follow us, you can do so at In the Isles Podcast on Instagram. If you want to go a step further and support this podcast, you can leave us five-star review and rating on iTunes and any feedback or suggestions, complaints, leave them at inthealspodcast at gmail.com. From now until next week, 2022, it's a brand new year, James. Any inspirational messages for our listeners? Copyright your cat drawings, doodles, copyright all content that you produce. Monetize everything. Don't do anything just for fun. Have we copyrighted anything that we've done? I, I don't even I don't know what the copyright situation is with with podcasts, but we'll look into it. Oh, it's a hot dog.